We're about to wrap up this series on Exodus, and we're calling it the Exodus Journey. It's been broke up into four parts. The first part was the sea, the second, the mountain, the third, the map, and now we are on the fourth and final part, and the shortest part of this series, just simply called um, the desert. And during this part of the series, we are looking at the time frame between Israel leaving Mount Sinai and arriving at the border of the promised land. It's going to culminate essentially in a couple of weeks with the death of Moses before Israel goes over the Jordan River into the promised land. So last week we looked at Numbers chapters 10 through 14 and we looked at God's judgment against the nation of Israel that the entire nation would be forced to wander the desert for 40 years before they would enter into the land of Canaan. We talked about this idea that all adults 20 years and older at the time of the Exodus would die in the desert before the 40 years was up. And this was all a result of the nation of Israel listening to the 10 spies who brought the bad report and focused on the giants instead of the grapes. And only young adults 20 and younger would be allowed to enter the promised land after the older generation died. And Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who brought the good report, who had faith instead of fear, they would be able to enter into the promised land as adults. And so today, with just a couple weeks left of this series, we're going to look at what's really a much more surprising judgment, a more surprising judgment on the nation than everybody dying before they entered the promised land. And so we're looking today at chapters 14 through about 22. We'll kind of skim over those. But from chapter 14 of the book of Numbers to chapter 20, uh, a period of several decades passed. Um, To be exact, about 40 years transpires over these six chapters, the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. During those 40 years, there was a coup that was attempted against Moses and Aaron that God would overthrow. And we then find toward uh, the latter part of this part that we're kind of skipping over is that Miriam, Moses' sister, dies. Immediately after his sister dies, um, as a woman in her old age, Israel runs out of drinking water. This is really kind of the third time that this happens. I'm sure it's happened much more than this, but it's the third time that we're made aware of. But they run out of water. And so um, as we're going into kind of another uh, season of heat, temperatures today expected to be over 100 degrees, um, think to a time where you have been thirsty before. And as you're thinking about a time to where you have been thirsty, what, what exactly is your favorite thing to drink. Not necessarily when you're thirsty, but what, what's your favorite drink? I know um, some of you are super hyper Instagram nerdy females who you're like, pumpkin spice latte is my favorite drink. And yeah, okay, that's sweet. Um, for me, I, I like the very healthy uh, sugar-free rock stars are, are super good for you. And that is my favorite drink. Some of you enjoy soda, whatever it is you like. What I have found about the things that you crave, the things that you enjoy most to drink, oftentimes are not what you actually crave when you are really thirsty. Because though I like all sorts of things to drink, when I am incredibly thirsty, there's really only one thing I crave, and that's just water. Who knew (laughs) that water was the best thing for you to drink? And, And sometimes the very things that you love to drink, flavored things, carbonated things that you love to drink, they don't even taste good 
when you are incredibly thirsty and dehydrated and, and lack water. And so in this account, Israel runs out of water. And in Numbers 20, verse 2, we find this account. It says this. The verse will be up on the screen. If you're watching at home, it'll be up on the screen there for you as well. It says, now there was no water for the congregation. And the, uh, the nation assembled themselves together against Moses and Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses. And this is what they said. Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cows? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place, to the desert? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. And so here we find the nation complaining yet again. Not only are they ungrateful for their freedom from slavery, not only have they lost faith in God to provide them with water as he has time and time again, and not only have they forgotten their sins which brought them to this place in the desert, they have also lost hope and they have lost sight of what was promised to them. And what was promised to them was this land, the land of Canaan, the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And you might say, well, pastor, weren't they all to die before they entered the land? But this is a new generation. These are the people that were under the age of 20 when they left Egypt, now almost ready as the 40 years is concluding to enter into the promised land. And so they're complaining, but they have not only water, but milk and honey and grain and pomegranates just ahead of them. And so this is what Moses does when he hears their complaint. In verse number 6 of chapter 20, it says, Then Moses and Aaron, his brother, went from the presence of the nation to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, and they fell on their faces before God. And the glory of the Lord appeared to Moses and Aaron, and the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Take the staff. And assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and to their cows. So Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him to do. Now, if you've been paying attention and if you've read this account of the Exodus journey before, we can recognize that this is very similar to something that happened right after they had fled Egypt nearly 40 years before. They had ran out of water. They complained about water. And in Exodus 17, God tells Moses that he, God, the Lord, would stand in front of a rock. And that Moses was to take his staff, the same staff that God used to part the Red Sea, and that Moses was to strike or to hit the rock one time as the presence of God stood before the rock. And when he did, God would bring forth water from that rock for them to drink. This way, all of Israel would know that it was God who was their source. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul makes this really strange comparison to this event. Paul compares these events 
to Jesus Christ himself. Paul essentially says in 1 Corinthians that Jesus was the rock. And the water that came out of the rock was spiritual nourishment. And so when Moses struck the rock, he was calling on the Lord to provide them with water. And the Lord provided them with water and so much more. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now, the rock wasn't literally Jesus, but later on, Jesus would compare himself several times, actually, to a rock. He is our foundation. And so wherever the people went, the foundation that was Christ would be there with them, and he would provide them with all that they needed. But this time, instead of hitting the rock once, God tells Moses instead that he is to speak to the rock in front of the people. And when he would speak to the rock in front of the people, God would bring forth water for them to drink. And just like God stood before the rock when he was told Moses, when Moses was told to strike it, as it was implied later by Paul, Moses would probably assume that God himself would be standing in front of this rock as well. And he wasn't to hit it, he was to speak to it to again show that God was their source. Now this is just strange, can we, can we admit that right away? Imagine if God told you to go in front of hundreds of thousands of people and be like, no worries, I'm going to give you water, but you need to talk to the rock. I would have no idea what to say except for like, rock, bring me water. And just this wait to see if the water is going to be springing forth from this rock. It was weird enough to hit it, but now to speak to it and to have it give water is just strange. And so here's what goes down. Here's what happens. In verse number 10, it says, Moses and Aaron gathered the entire nation before this rock. And Moses said to the people, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? So Moses lifted up his hands, and he struck the rock with his staff. Not once, like before, but two times he strikes the rock. And it says, water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank. And the cows. Everybody drinks the water. And I'm going to kind of fast forward to the end of my message. And if you're taking notes, just something to ponder is this. Just because you get the water doesn't mean you get the blessing. Just because you get the water doesn't mean that you get the blessing. And so let's continue. Verse 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given to them. What? We already got actually a preview of this 40 years before. God told Moses that only Joshua and Caleb would enter the promised land as adults. Moses apparently didn't catch on that he and Aaron's names were omitted 
from the list of two adults that would enter. And so just as the adults 20 and older who Moses led out of Egypt could not enter into the land because of their unbelief, so too would Moses and Aaron be unable to enter the land, the very land that they led the people to because of their unbelief. They would die in the wilderness with everybody else until the 40 years was up. And without their leader, an entire younger generation would inherit the promise that was given to Moses. How many of you think this is too harsh? He just hit the rock. This is, this is ridiculous. And if you think about it, it's like Aaron melted everybody's gold into a cow idol. And forced them all to worship with with horrible debauchery, and he got to live. Um, After all, Moses hit the rock before and water came out. God, this seems a little bit extreme of a punishment for hitting a rock two times. And so I want to go over with you today so we can kind of understand what's happening, why Moses was judged in such a way. And I've got a a list you can kind of jot down some notes for here Uh, Here are just a few reasons why they experienced this judgment. Number one, it's because of their attitude. Their attitude sucked. What did Moses say? He said, you rebels. God didn't say, speak to the rock, you rebels. He said, speak to the rock, and it will bring forth water. And so Moses calls this people, which is very true, they were rebels. He yells and shouts at them that they are rebels, and by him Striking the rock two times, it shows that he was fed up. It shows that he disregarded God's instructions, and he struck it like before. But the second strike showed his attitude and his anger. So they're judged for their attitude. Number two, Moses and Aaron, it says specifically, in quotes, they were judged for their disbelief. Moses did not do what God told him to do. He straight up disobeyed. Moses didn't think that speaking to the rock would work, and so he hit it twice. He didn't obey. He didn't trust. He did not believe. It was disbelief, and so God punishes him. Number three, Moses and Aaron dishonor God. Not only do they disobey God in front of God, but they disobey God in front of the entire nation. They did not uphold God as holy before the people. They struck the rock twice that God was likely standing in front of just like before. They didn't speak to it. They disobeyed God in front of others. If you have children, there is a difference between your children disrespecting you and disobeying you to your face. But when they do it in front of other people, it brings it to a whole nother level. Number four, leaders are held to a higher standard. If leaders don't follow God, and if they're not disciplined for it, the people will have no example to follow and no example to obey. So Moses and Aaron, they were simply held to a higher standard. Number five, the biggest issue of all. Notice what they said. They said, you rebels, shall we bring water from this rock? You see, in this moment of frustration, 
in this moment of impatience with a bad attitude, Moses and Aaron, they take the credit for what God was about to do. Moses and Aaron said, we are the ones who are bringing the water from this rock. In my mind, this pride is the biggest sin of all, and God punishes them for it because this was the greatest sign of dishonoring God in front of the people was to take God's credit and give it to themselves. And finally, this is my own opinion, but I believe another reason that they are punished to such severity is that Moses and Aaron were at the very end of the 40 years of wandering. They only needed to hold out for likely just days, weeks maybe. But here at the very end of their journey, with the promised land full of grapes and pomegranates and water and milk and honey, they lose faith at this crucial moment. They lose faith right before they cross the finish line, and they absolutely miss out. This would be so devastating for Moses. I actually feel bad for Moses. Not only do I feel bad for Moses, I have to put myself in the place of Moses and say, I would have done the same thing. Some of you might be like, no, I would do exactly what God said to do. But you don't do that always, do you? Oftentimes, we don't do what God tells us to do. God is very just in his punishment against Moses and Aaron, but I feel bad. I can absolutely sympathize with Moses because I've done stupid things like this before as well. But here's something I want you to consider about Moses. Just because Moses missed out, it doesn't mean he was out. Here's some reasons why. God let Moses look into the promised land on the day that he died. God took him to the top of a mountain, and he was able to look with his own eyes at the very place which he had led the people to. In fact, Deuteronomy 34, it says that Moses died at an old age of 120, and I love what it says about Moses on the day that he died. It says that his eyes were undimmed and his vigor was unabated. I don't know if I want to live to be 120, but if I do, I want my eyes undimmed and my vigor unabated. So he lived to be an old man. He lived a full life, and he died in peace. Number three, the book of Jude in the New Testament has this wacky passage. You can read it for yourself that talks about the devil actually trying to steal Moses' body, and Michael the archangel battled him for it. So just because he missed out, it doesn't mean he was out. In Hebrews chapter 11, Moses is listed as one of the very few heroes of our faith. And then finally, when Jesus takes his disciples up onto the top of what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, and the disciples see the glory of Jesus revealed, who is standing right next to Jesus but Moses and Elijah? Moses missed out, but he was not out. He didn't make it to the promised land. His body died on a mountain overlooking it, but he received the promise of everlasting life. Hebrews 11 says this. After listing the heroes of the faith, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Moses never went to the promised land. But having seen them, like Moses did, and greeted them from afar, 
and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak like this make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of a land from which they had gone out, Egypt, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country than Egypt, than Canaan, than Israel. That is, they desired a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So Moses did not enter the promised land, but Moses received a better promise. And he is in the presence of that promise today with all who have been saved and all who trust in Jesus Christ. So here's why they were judged. And so what can we apply to our lives? How how can we actually walk in this ourselves 3,400 years later? What are some lessons that we can learn from this passage of Scripture? Um, Number one, keep your attitude in check. Don't call people rebels. Keep your attitude in check. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger. Chill out. Listen. If you find yourself in an argument, the goal is not to be right. The goal is to be heard, to be understood, to acknowledge what the other person is feeling, thinking, seeing. Be slow to speak. Close your mouth. Open your ears. Listen. Take some time. Don't let, don't let the anger overtake you. Use the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 says that to be patient is to have the fruit of the Spirit. To have self-control is to have the fruit of the Spirit. So when you find your temper growing and your anger building, use some self-control. So keep your attitude in check. Number two, what can we learn? Choose to trust God. If God promises you something, believe it. If God offers you something, believe it in faith. If God tells you to do something, do it. Parentheses, do it his way. If God tells you to do something, do it his way. Do not take shortcuts. If God tells you to speak to a rock, speak to it. Don't hit it. Don't hit it again. Do things God's way because your way never works anyway. How many of you, you found that your ways work better than God's? No one's ever found that out before. Do things God's way. Your way doesn't work. And back to that quote, just because you get the water doesn't mean that you get the blessing. You see, the ends do not justify the means. Sometimes we go about trying to get something and we actually get it, but the way that we went about getting it did not bring the satisfaction we hoped it would bring when we got it. And that's because we gave up our soul in the process. And so God's word will tell us things like, don't have sex outside of marriage. And you're like, strike the rock twice. We're married in our hearts. 
God's word will say that you need to spread the gospel to share the good news and the hope that you have in Christ. And and you strike a rock twice and you're like, but I might offend somebody. God's word tells us all these different things and all of us try to justify the things that we do. And we're saying like, no, but I have special circumstances surrounding my issues. We'll strike the rock twice and we'll say, God understands. God knows why I do the things that I do. And so God's word is for other people. It's not for me because I'm walking in grace. No, you're striking the rock twice. And you might get something that you enjoy temporarily, but it doesn't mean that you're actually getting the blessing. Number three, what we can learn here, honor God. Honor God before others always. Don't speak in a way that belittles God. Don't speak in a way that does not give the credit that he is due. Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him, will I be ashamed when I come in my glory and the glory of the Father and the glory of the angels. Don't dishonor God. In fact, honor Don't speak ill of God. Don't treat God or treat others in a way that would dishonor God. In fact, honor God. Live your life to honor God and not just privately, but most importantly, honor God publicly. What else can we learn if you're a leader? If you are a leader, you are not beyond falling. If you are a leader, you are held to a higher standard. If you are a leader, people are always watching you. And the reason they're watching you is they're watching for you to fall. Because if you fall, sometimes it gives them a false sense that it's okay if they fall. And they try to put all the weight of their walk with Christ on you instead of on them. When I was in third and fourth grade, I had a teacher who whenever it was time to be punished or disciplined for something, she had the students who got in trouble write sentences. How many of you had to write sentences when you get or when you got in trouble? And, and, and I had to write this sentence so many times, I remember it very clearly. The sentence was this, I know the ways I act and the things I do are watched by others who desire to be just like me. Therefore, I need to be a good example. If you're a leader, you can fall. If you're a leader, you you will fall to some extent. In fact, in Ephesians, when, when Paul says this, he says, if someone stumbles, if someone falls into temptation, it says, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And it says, but keep watch on yourself, lest you too may fall. Now, oftentimes, this is wrongly attributed to this idea that if someone is stumbling, you need to be careful because you could be tempted by whatever they're stumbling in. So if someone is an alcoholic and if they are in a bar drinking and if you are an alcoholic, don't go in there or you might stumble. You could say, well, that makes sense, but that's not what this verse is saying. What this verse is saying is don't think you're all that. Don't think that you are above falling into sin like those that you lead. So keep watch on yourself because the moment you think that you are above falling is the moment that you fall. So we can learn this here as a leader. Be careful. You're not beyond those you lead. 
we also can learn if you have a leader in your life, and all of us have leaders in our lives, if you have a leader in your life, follow that leader as they follow Jesus. But look up to Jesus, not to the leader, because the leader will always let us down. Give leaders who fall grace, but if they're following Christ into something that you should not follow them into, then don't follow them. Put all of your hope and your focus and your adoration and your worship on Jesus and not those who lead people to Jesus. Number five, one of the most important ones, don't ever take the credit. Don't ever take the credit. Never take the credit for something that God has done. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. But if we are not careful, we could say, I did this. I picked myself back up. I am the one who worked hard and did this. I am the one who achieved this. I am the one who... Be very careful when you say I, when you're supposed to be saying he. He's the one who did it. It's by God's grace. Thank God he allowed me to. Thank God he gave me the ability to. You see, it is not by my might. It is not by my power whenever I achieve something. It is by the Spirit, the Spirit of God working in me. So never take the credit. Two more things we can learn. Number six, Hold out hope. Hold out hope. Keep the faith. Fight a little bit harder. Stand a little bit longer. You're almost there. Run this race to win the prize. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, What no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has in store for those who love him. This world may seem difficult. This race may seem hard, but you need to keep fighting. You need to keep holding on. You need to keep breathing. You need to keep pushing because this race has a finish line that is worth crossing. And Moses gave up hope right before he crossed the finish line. So I would encourage you, Hold on to your faith and run a little bit longer because the finish line is closer than you think. Just hold a little bit longer. Finally, consequences and judgment are not the same thing. Consequences and judgment are not the same thing. As a Christian, just like Moses, there are consequences for our actions in this life as we know it. You can't commit a crime and say, oh, the blood of Jesus has already covered that crime, and so I should not be held responsible for it. Though your sins may be forgiven in this world, it doesn't mean there are not consequences in this world. But despite the consequences for our actions, Christ has taken on our judgment. And despite the earthly consequences in this world, we have eternal life in the world that is to come. So ultimately, our mistakes do not define us. 
Our faith does. It's our faith that defines us because our faith in Jesus Christ, it surpasses consequences and it alleviates judgment because Jesus took on our judgment on the cross so that we can walk in the fullness of his blessings. And so Moses was not able to enter the promised land, but he received the promise. And you too, for your actions, you might be living or you may live one day in the earthly consequences of things that you have done, but in Christ, Christ has overtook and overlooked the things that you have done so that you can receive the promise and you can have hope in the promise to come even if you're living in the consequences below. So what can we learn from this story? Listen to the voice of God. Do what he says. Do not strike the rock when he says to speak. And know God well enough that you know the difference. God, what are you telling me to do today? What are you asking me to do today? Do you want me to speak? Do you want me to strike? God, if you say strike, I'll strike. If you say speak, I'll speak. If you say strike once, I won't strike twice. Whatever it is you ask me to do, I'll do it. Because I don't want to receive what I'm after, the water, and then miss out on the blessings of obeying and following your will. To me, God, the promised land is not as important as the promise. And so, God, I want to be in line with your will. And I wrap this up with a thought. If you want to take your time to bow your heads, close your eyes to eliminate distraction, uh, Ryan's going to come up and close us in a song. Here's where I want to wrap this up today. The people of the nation were thirsty. And Moses cried out to God as their intermediary. And God provided a means for them to receive water. And through that means, God quenched their thirst. Remember, Paul made a comparison that Christ himself was the rock that the spiritual water came from. So if you are thirsty, God has provided the means for us to have what Jesus himself calls living water. And the means to receive the living water is through and in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus offers us freely to drink from him, our rock. And all we must do to drink from that rock, rivers of living water, is believe. And that belief will lead to obedience. See, Moses did not get to enter the promised land because God said he did not believe. All he needed to do was believe that his very words spoken to the rock would bring the water. And in Christ, all we must do is believe that our faith in him 
brings us what he calls living water. And it's interesting that Moses had to speak to the rock because in the New Testament, Paul says, if we say, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. If we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. So apply that to Moses. If he confessed with his mouth, rock, bring forth water. And if he believed in his heart that it would, he would have been saved. The same application to a higher level is in Christ. If you would confess, Jesus, your Lord, If you would confess, Jesus, I don't have the answers, but you do. If you would speak with your mouth, Jesus, it seems like if I were to hit this rock twice, I would receive water. But I am trusting that if I speak to it, the water will come out. If you speak with your mouth, Jesus, I give control. I give my life to you, and I trust in you. And if you believe in your heart, that his life, that his death, and his resurrection gives you life, then you will be saved. Jesus, in speaking with a woman at a well in the land of Samaria, he said to this woman who sat at the well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, And he would have given you living water. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Talking about the water from the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus offers us, as Paul says, this idea of spiritual water, a quenching of the thirst of our souls, a water that does not just sustain us and quench our thirst, but a water, if you will, that actually gives us life, a life, a spring of living, perpetual, eternal water. So three chapters later in John chapter 7, at the end of a feast, Jesus shouted out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, just as Moses was called to believe, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, everlasting, perpetual, eternal life. And at the very end of this book that we call the Bible in Revelation 22, as the story of the scriptures is coming to a close, Jesus says this in Revelation 22, 17, come, let the one who hears say come, and let the one who is thirsty come. 
but the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Moses did not have to pay for the water that came from the rock. The people did not have to pay for the water that came from the rock. They simply were called to believe, to trust, to have faith. And to, in faith, take the next step of obedience. So if you'd say today, I'm thirsty. But my thirst is something much greater than a thirst that can be quenched with water. And my soul longs to drink from a well that springs with everlasting life. That can only be found in Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life for you and for me that we could never live. He died in our place for our punishment. A death that we deserve to die at the hands of his father on a cross. And he rose from the grave, forever defeating Satan, sin, hell, and death. And through that life, that death, and that resurrection, we can receive what this water is. And what the water is, is it's forgiveness of sins. It's a restored relationship with God, the greatest thing. It's a filling with that water, the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit within us springs forth into eternal life. It's also everlasting life in Christ. And to receive this free gift of grace that we don't deserve, to receive this salvation, this life, this water, we must simply trust, believe, have faith. Jesus said, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you'd say today, I've never believed in Jesus. I've never trusted in him. I've never went after a relationship with him. I've never received his water. You can receive it in an instant by simply crying out to God in your own words, with your own voice. Jesus, I trust you. I give you my life. For those who have done that, you say, I, I, I've, I've drank of that water before. I've received the life of Christ. As someone myself who's received the life of Christ, I live too much of my own life far too thirsty. And that's because sometimes I forget to just stop and to take a drink. I'm so caught up in the busyness of this world and the busyness of God's work that I forget to drink the very water that gives me life. So today, if you find yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, who would say, you know what, I've, I, I've forgotten to just simply receive. I've forgotten to be refreshed by the Spirit of God, and I need that today. And that's my prayer for you, is that you would freely receive what God freely has given. Would you stand with me this morning? And we're going to close in a song, and myself and a couple of our team will be up on the sides of our stage here. If you'd like prayer today, we'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to surrender your life to Jesus and have never done that, we'd love to celebrate with you by praying over you. If you're a Christian who's forgotten to drink and you need a touch from God, you need him to refresh you, we'd love to believe in faith with you for that as well. So God... 
Here is your word as we've declared. God, do with it as you will. In Jesus' name, amen.